So Money episode 214, Millionaire Next Door, Julie Rains. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome back to So Money. It is our fourth installment of Millionaires Next Door on So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today I'm chatting with the lovely Julie Rains. She's a freelance writer specializing in investing in mortgages from North Carolina. She has a finance degree from UNC Chapel Hill. She's had experience working in financial analysis and accounting for Fortune 500 companies, as well as personal experience in investing and paying off a mortgage. She shares her financial advice based on her own experiences and expertise on her blog, Investing to Thrive. And she's joining us today to tell us how she and her husband became millionaires. We're going to learn her top strategies for achieving millionaire status all before turning 40. Why her friends would probably be surprised to learn she and her husband have achieved millionaire status and how Julie managed to pay down her mortgage in full, save for retirement, send her kids off to college and donate and still maintain millionaire status. So without further ado, here we go. Here is Julie Rains. Julie Rains, Millionaire Next Door. Welcome to So Money. Excited to learn about you. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. You boldly emailed me and said, I am a millionaire next door. And I was really excited to hear from a female, I have to say. Uh, I got a lot of men writing in and uh, protesting their their millionaire status, being very proud of that. And I, I really was looking for some amazing women. And you qualified Julie, okay. you and your, yeah, of course, you and your husband are millionaires. And I want right. to know how you got there. And you did this before turning 40, right around the age of 40. Tell That's us a little bit about your life right now. Where are you living? What's your life like? Tell us about your house. What's, what's, if I was your neighbor, what would I, what, what would I be looking at right now? Well, you would be looking at a, somewhat an unkept yard because I spent a lot of my time, um, I'm a cyclist and, and do some running and there's other things. So I did spend a lot of time doing things I want to do, um, working on the yard stuff. But the, the house is, is nice, somewhat modest. Um, we have a couple of decent-sized cars that I'm proud to say we were able to pay cash for um, in the past couple of years. So got that. We've got a couple. Uh, I'm in North Carolina, and which fortunately the cost of living is fairly low. There's still some things that are, can be expensive, but it's relatively low compared to other parts of the country. Um, and I've got um, a couple, two sons, one, two that are going away to college just in, next week, actually, one for the first time and one will be a senior. So, but very overall, somewhat modest lifestyle. Um, I think I emailed you while I was traveling. That was a big trip for us. We went over to the, for our 30th anniversary, went over to, to, to Europe. Hadn't been there in about 30 years. Wow. And Good um, time to go. The dollar's yeah, strong. Yeah, right. I, that was that was lucky. That wasn't really planned. But um, I had gone, my sister had lived in London many years ago when I was able to visit her and, you know, very cheaply. And then we went on a, a, a big hike on, in the Alps. So that was a lot of fun. But 
but yeah, I was glad to be able to, to, I noticed when I looked at some responses and looked at the, some of the dialogue and some of the social media, I thought maybe you didn't have as many females. So I thought I would, <laughs> would step in there. So Well, thank that. you. Yes, I very much appreciate it. You have a background in finance. How, in, how much of a key was that in helping you achieve your wealth? Well, I think it was it was more of a key that maybe I realized at the time when I got started. One thing that I, I'll go ahead and tell you what I'm not good at, and that is real estate investing. Uh, I don't have a very good visual sense. That's something I realized later that I was poor visual sense, which, again, maybe things in my – I might not have picked out the house that I picked out was in, in, inexpensive. So I looked at that part, and then this will look at the beauty of it. Um, but so that side I wasn't very, maybe very good at. But I was good at with numbers. And from a fairly young age, I liked numbers, and then I decided to be a business major at UNC Chapel Hill. And there I took a um, started thinking I was going to be an accountant and then took a finance class and really enjoyed that. Um, and so I have a, a concentration in finance. But very early on, I started uh, investing. That was just fun to me because you got to invest in businesses. And I was a business major and I was a finance major, so it was a good, it was a good fit for me. Did you always seek to have this status at an earlier age? You know, I, I think reaching millionaire status by your early 40s, late 30s is a tall accomplishment. Was this something that you thought of achieving at an early stage or was it there was there a pivotal moment at some point during adulthood? Um, you know, it, honestly, it was not something I ever thought, oh, I need to be a millionaire by 30 or 40 or, or whatever. And and I think I'm a terrible candidate for financial planners. They just hated me because I never had goals. You know, I just liked to, the idea of living modestly and investing, which is something I enjoy doing. I think later in life, I've, I've learned to set goals and be more more intentional about that. But it really wasn't something. It was just something that happened. I can kind of tell you, go into more of the story, but it, it happened more naturally. It's just something that I just you know, started investing and started getting interested in that. And I will say, I think everybody maybe at that young age – to a certain extent, had a lucky break. It was partly intentional, partly a lucky break. So, but it wasn't something that I planned out. Well, let's dive deeper into your strategies. What would you say are your top strategies? Start with the first, the biggest, I would say, of your strategies for achieving your status before the age of 40. Okay. Well, one was really to, the main one was to pay attention to the employee benefits. When you take a job, you know, you've got two big sides of your of the equation, um, your compensation your base compensation, to a certain extent, your incentives, if you have those, which tend to be more for people in a sales role. And then also your your employee benefits, your retirement plans, uh, profit sharing plans, your health benefits, to pay attention to that. And, and for us, um, what happened was we actually both graduated. We both went to UNC Chapel Hill, didn't know each other. He was My husband was a couple years ahead of me, but really had a hard time finding a job at a school. But he went, went to work for a company. Um, that was a very high growth company. And I went through one that actually went through some, some mergers and acquisitions. So anyway, we had kind of two different career paths there, but his company had a very good employee stock ownership program. And when we were making decisions about careers, that was one of the big things that I looked at and thought, you know, I really, him being able to, to make money and be promoted and, and acquire stock through this program was a big part of, of building our wealth. So really it was, um, well, it was, it was your wherewithal and your knowledge, but these opportunities also came to you and you were smart enough to take advantage of them. That's right. And, and I think even if I hadn't taken advantage, I was going to say there was one right after we got married, um, the company I was working for was bought out and I was offered, actually offered a, 
I think I, it was probably a pending offer to move to a larger city, but the expense structure was so high um, that I realized that, you know, I chose this other opportunity. And I think that, I think even if I had gone maybe a different route and we could have built wealth maybe in a different way, but in this particular way, this was the way we built wealth. And, and I realized a lot of people will work for a company and maybe they have a stock program and the stock program doesn't pay out. So we were fortunate to have a, a big, a nice payout. You have no mortgage. Right. When did, when did you become mortgage free? It, you know, it's been a few years ago. Is we during the recession when everything was falling apart <laughs> in the stock market and the real estate and the job market. Um, we still had our mortgage then, so I think it was a couple of years after that, and that was something that I wanted to just to pay off. It wasn't. I know a lot of people have a, a low mortgage right now, maybe two or three percent or four percent or whatever. Ours was a little bit higher because when we, you know when we bought the house, and I just don't want to refinance forever. But I did um, get a fifteen year. At some point, got a fifteen year mortgage and refinanced and then paid a little bit extra off, but really felt like the 15-year mortgage was enough, was a pretty good acceleration. So it's been a few years and it's been nice. To me, that's so much more of an accomplishment in my own mind as far as peace of mind than accumulating the wealth, the, the stock market wealth. I think something that a lot of Americans struggle with, understandably, is juggling the mortgage plus retirement plus saving for college for their kids. Right. You did all three how did you prioritize and save effectively for all of these things and ultimately pay off the mortgage while you were saving for retirement and also your kids' college? Well, let me say this. I didn't. I don't have all the money. I have money set aside for my children's college, but it's not all in a 529 plan. That was, just to go back a little bit, those, those 529 plans weren't actually available when my kids were younger. So that kind of made things messy. And that's one thing that's it makes it hard because you are constantly juggling things. I think for me, living modestly and having a smaller house really helped a lot. Um, you know, not having a luxury car helped a lot. We lived in a, even though, like I said, we have a fairly modest house, we do happen to live in a, a neighborhood that has some of the better public schools in the, in the area, at least I think they are. So that was a, a strategy there, just keeping those fixed costs low and just investing. Like I said, I, I I'm not a great planner as far as knowing exactly what bucket to put everything into, but I felt like if you save money and invest money, you can then allocate the money to wherever it needs to go. So now you are how old? Um, 54. You're 54. So you've lived this millionaire lifestyle for over 10 years and you're, are you, would you consider yourself retired at this point, early retirement or what's next with you and your financial life? Well, you know, I don't really like to put a label on it. And I think when we first, I really felt uncomfortable with, I didn't really tell anybody, of course, and I don't know, probably half my friends don't know this anyway, but um, I, I, I felt now more comfortable with having the money. And of course, I feel like now I've, I've gotten used to the idea of, of having money and trying to manage wealth. Um, as far as me, I'm, I'm doing freelance writing. I've got a, um, a blog, This Investing to Thrive, that I'm writing about. And that is actually, I, I'm trying to educate people, you know, other people, uh, working with I have my son who's become interested in investing, um, educate him. And then it's also helped me learn more because I think I can always learn more. And so I'm, s- I'm not sure what, what my status would be. I just I call myself a freelance writer. and I just kind of leave it at that when I try to answer questions from, from friends or new acquaintances. What would you say is your financial philosophy? Well, really that, um, that anybody to invest early and to invest often. 
Um, even my son is a college student. He has a little extra cash. He decided to start investing it. You know, he's made some good decisions. He's already, he's made some that were okay decisions. He's pulled some money out of the market because he felt like he didn't agree with the company's positions on, you know, social issues, uh, which is funny because I kind of went through that same process myself. Um, but, but invest early, invest often. You can, whether you, if you make a lot of money, that's great. If you don't, you learn lessons. So I think by investing early, you can accumulate wealth. You don't necessarily have to, you know, ha- have a startup that gets bought up by Google or write a bestseller. You know, those things are great. But there's different paths to becoming wealthy. Absolutely, and and like you said to me in your email, you could have picked a, a number of paths, but this path almost chose you. Well, that's true. I guess I realize at the time you don't realize it, but in hindsight, you realize that where your strengths are, that you tend to to go those directions. And that, like I said, that was just for whatever reason, I was a board saver. I don't you know, I don't know why, but um, that was my gift. And and then I'm learning that I have some gifts as far as some investing and saving. What was your biggest money lesson growing up as a kid? You say now you're you're passing down your knowledge to your son what, what what was that like for you growing up, though? What was your exposure to money? Well, um, my parents were somewhat average. I mean, they were both, and so as I said on my, my husband's side, um, our parents were both children during the Depression. So we, we kind of grew up with a frugal mindset. Um, my dad always told me to save more than he did. But, but one of the biggest memories, I think, is when he was showing me his uh, a mortgage passbook. I don't know if you've ever heard of a passbook or not. Um, no, tell me but, about this. <laughs> well, the, and they had savings passbooks, and I guess they had mortgage passbooks. But it was like a little notebook that you would get from the bank, and you would go to the bank, and they would you would make a deposit, and they would you would update that information. You know, just during during that transaction, you didn't have anything online, but you had a little passbook. So one day he he had his passbook out, and I guess he was writing his check for. Um, the mortgage, and I was looking at it, and I, and I could, you could see the whole schedule. Instead of looking at something on Excel, you could see the whole mortgage amortization schedule. And I thought, oh, how does this work? And then it just it seemed obvious by looking at how it was all laid out. And that helped me understand how mortgages worked and how you know loans work. And I think maybe subconsciously on the flip side, I understood, started understanding that wealth could be built the other way as well. So you're paying off debt. Um, he also mentioned, you know, you don't, he had a fairly low interest rate. You know, you don't want to pay off too early because the bank, you know, he could make more money at that time in a savings account. That's wow. not like that anymore, but no, <laughs> anything's better than a savings account. If you're looking to make money with your money, what was your biggest financial mistake throughout the years that you think, you know, I wish I hadn't done this or, you know, I'm glad I did it because I learned a ton and it was markedly your greatest money mistake. Okay. Well, and I've, I've thought about that. And I think I've written about this one other time when he was, when my husband was looking to move, to leave his job, he had a, had a retirement, several different retirement plans with, with his company. And he had the, the stock ownership um, plan, which was really the money that, that was kind of the big money that we didn't, he, you know, work for, but the basically stock was given to you. The other was the, the 401k, and he, we didn't accumulated quite a, you know a decent amount in that, and so but when we consulted with with people about that, we talked to a CPA and we talked to a financial advisor who was also associated with the piece that was recommended by the CPA, and we talked to a few other people. Um, I think I consulted with somebody that I knew, 
uh, about how to use some of the, the retirement proceeds. And the, the, the company gave us some information. But in all of that, the one thing that nobody really mentioned was when you did your rollover, the way that our rollover was going to work was that your your, your money was sold, the, the holdings were sold, and then reinvested at a later time. Well, during this time lag, you know, the, the holdings that we had, the market was at a very low. And then by the time we reinvested, the market was a high. And that, and I'm estimating maybe $100,000 that <laughs> that we lost in that move. Whoa. And yeah, and so that was... To me, I think maybe I've heard you say this, Farnoosh, is you know, nobody's really going to care about your money as much as you do. Mm-hmm. And you really need to do your research and you need to, which I thought I had done, and you need to create that strategy. You know, a lot of these advisors probably knew that, but they didn't. maybe they didn't think of it as relevant or significant or whatever. So you really have to ask very pointed questions when you're working with people. Well, it's not their money. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So they don't get paid that they're they they don't have any commission. They get the same commission if they get a commission. It's going to be the same. So, right, right. So, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I think, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. What do you think? Well, I think I learned. You know, it was it was a very difficult lesson there to learn to learn that not to trust you, which is a good lesson. I think I also learned not to. You know, if you make mistakes, you're just going to make them. You just have to move on. <laughs> you can't regret that. Um, I like that. I like that. You know, you just, you live, you learn, move on. You got to move on. Right. And then because you you almost miss more opportunities when you keep looking back. I think I've found. Um, But I've also learned that in that case, a lot of times there's trade-offs. You know, we were looking to diversify that holding. And, you know, when you diversify, sometimes you're going to give up some growth. You're hopefully getting more stability, but you're going to give up some growth. When you invest, you're talking about trying to juggle the different things as far as your mortgage versus your, your 529 plan. If you put the money in the mortgage, you might not have the money for the 529 plan. You don't always know what's going to, and the tax laws might change to be in favor of something that you didn't do. You don't always know what's going what's to happen, so you just need to make the best decisions you can and, and just move forward. Speaking of best decisions, what's your so money moment, Julie? Well, my so money moment, so money mo- moment it's just something fairly recently when I was I'm participating in a stock contest and the motif it's through this year it's through motif investing. It's something that Jeff Rose of good financial sense um, sense has put together. And right now, now my account itself, and I'll, there's a little bit of nuance here. I'll explain in a second, but my account has grown about 15% this year, which I'm proud of. And that's something that I've really been trying to work on. It, it seems to me it's easier to accumulate wealth, but it's harder and more complex or can be more complex to manage wealth. And so I feel like learning, getting some techniques to source building a portfolio and managing that and getting a good return on that is something I'm proud of. Absolutely. Along the way, you must have mastered some habits, Julie. What would you say is your number one habit that has directly correlated to wealth? Well, one of the things I think that that has helped me quite a bit is you know, looking at, we put a lot of money on our credit, we put a lot of charges on our credit card because there's some protections there. It also gives us a little bit of time to pay off. And, but just to look at that, those charges regularly, hopefully monthly, and stay on top of those. And, and one of the things that, that maybe I haven't always been doing, but I remember when I was reading your book, When She Makes More, is that there's certain times in your life when things change. And really to go back and, and revisit your life and your spending habits and what you're doing and make changes that. And I think looking, just looking at your credit card statements and your uh, whatever bank statements you have and seeing some of those trends and then making those decisions 
and, and making the changes when you need to make them. All right, Julie, are you ready for some so money fill in the blanks? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you hesitated. Don't worry. Yes. <laughs> Softball. Uh, if I won the lottery tomorrow, $100 million, the first thing I would do is? I would establish a foundation and then give so I can give grants out. To um, students to- or? You know, that's a good question. I think that the question has come up if we won the lottery. I figured a lot of people would be asking for money. And so I've talked to my son about this. Um, um, and we decided, you know, that would be a good thing to do, establish the foundation. And then I guess we would have to, s- to develop some criteria for what we want, would want to give out. But to me, it, would, it could be anything. It could be for somebody was a bit, that needs money for a business startup or some service program. Um, anything I think would be a worthy cause. I like that. One thing I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Good convenience food. I don't like to eat um, fast food, and I rarely eat fast food, but I do sometimes pick up prepared foods. Um, it's pricier, but it definitely makes my life easier. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is? Is um, athletic pursuits, I would say. Um, I have, like I said, I mentioned, if I mentioned this not, but I have a, a, a cyclist. Um, so I spend a lot of money on, on that, on cycling bike tune-ups, bike jerseys, um, occasionally entry fees, things like that. One thing one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? Really how often you need to readjust your habits. Again, that's something I think I just met, we mentioned a, a second ago, but just when, when life changes, when you get married, when you have kids, uh, maybe you're, you're, you've got a lot of time then you can make more conscious decisions, but as they get older and as your life changes to, to realize that you need to start changing your money habits. How is that an experience for you? How is that a lesson for you? Well, I think for me, it's say my, maybe with kids, I, I feel like there were some times when I wasn't, I was so busy with them that I really wasn't paying attention to some of the, maybe some of my investments or increasing my skills in portfolio management, for example. And then I would have a kid that, um, was so active. I didn't know what to do with them sometimes. And so I would go out and buy them Lego sets and I spent a lot of money on Legos. Uh, so just being able to think about those habits and not just react to the situation, but to think about some of the different changes in your, in your life and, and not just let things go for a long period of time. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. Well, I like two things I thought about is my, my church and then also causes championed by my friends because my relationships are really my priorities. For example, I've given to a friend that um, was going on a mission trip to Honduras, and I've got a, another friend who's running the New York Marathon in the charity slot. So it's really exciting to be able to give to them and support them. So you're able to pay off your mortgage, save for retirement, send your kids to school, go on vacations, and donate and give back um, right. and be a millionaire by 40. I think that we are getting to quite the headline here. Oh, great. Thank you. And last but not least, Julie, I'm so money because? I realize that whether or not things go perfectly, you know, it's saving, investing, spending, all that can be fun. Yeah, it can. It can be a lot of fun. And it's really fun to hear your experience. Well, Julie, thank you so much for sharing your story. Truly, it is fun. Fun hearing it through your eyes and your experience. Everyone check out Investing to Thrive, which is Julie's blog, where you can learn more about her experiences and uh, and the future of this millionaire next door. Julie, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Julie Rains, her website again is investingtothrive.com and she's on Twitter at Carolina Rains. All this info at somoneypodcast.com and there you can click on Ask Farnoosh and submit your question and every weekend I answer your questions. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money blitz with me, hop on to iTunes and leave a review for this show. Every Saturday at the top of the program, I select one new iTunes reviewer to get that 15 minute money session with me. So go for it. You and I could very well be connecting. Thanks so much to my millionaire next door, Julie Rains. Tomorrow, we're going to hear from millionaire next door, Jeff Johnson. He's in his 30s and he's got millions. So stay tuned for that great episode. In the meantime, hope your day is so money. Money.